Welcome to Essential, a podcast dedicated to communication at work in the 21st century. I'm Stacey Epstein, CEO of Zinc, and we host guests from a variety of places, including academics, analysts, investors, and users of modern communication technology. Today, we welcome Keith Humphrey, President and CEO of Jet Airworks, headquartered in Wichita, Kansas. Full disclosure today, Keith is actually one of our longest time customers at Zinc. And of course, we consider Keith an enlightened visionary when it comes to conducting innovative and streamlined communication methods at his company. So Keith, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. We would love uh, for you to just kind of tell our listeners about your background. Uh, We were just talking and you were in the military, and somehow you ended up in the aviation industry, and particularly focused on helping airplanes, both commercial and private, to stay functioning and safe. So I'll let you just talk about your background and how you got to where you are today. Wow, it's uh, it's only a thirty minute podcast, so I've got to I've got to condense a lot of it. Uh, but thank you, Stacy. I appreciate you guys asking me to. Uh, to join you on on the podcast, uh, I think it's important to get information out, no matter what it is. But uh, as for me, um, so like I said, it's a long story. Um, we don't have a lot of time, but the simple way to describe it is, it just there was a lot of roads less traveled to get me where I'm at. Um, like we were talking about before, um, I grew up in Salinas. Um, Salinas is in the Monterey Bay area. It's about 100 miles south of San Francisco. Um, I graduated high school there. Uh, I barely graduated high school there, I should say, um, getting into some trouble. And uh, uh, my grandfather grabbed a hold of me and said, you're going in the military, pick a branch. So uh, I decided to go into the Navy, mainly because of the adventure aspect of it all. Um, so uh, um, I signed up and went in. I had no real idea what I wanted to do. Um, based on test scores and things like that, the Navy decided that I should be a jet mechanic. So I went along with whatever they suggested because to me it was better than what I was doing before and that was nothing. So I, uh, I, uh, became a jet mechanic in the Navy. Um, so, uh, first, uh, first order of business after I joined was to hurry up and get married, which I did pretty young. And about a year after that, I had a baby, I'm still very young. And then I suddenly had to be a jet mechanic in the worst way possible, in a good one. So uh, I spent 10 years in the Navy. I did sea duty on the West Coast, uh, made deployments all over the Pacific Rim, and then had shore duty in Spain. So I spent a lot of time in Europe at that point. Um, decided I would get out and look for a job and see how I could make it on the, uh, on the outside. So uh, I did that. I went back home to Monterey, got my first opportunity for a job in uh, southern Maryland. So I had to drive across country for a pretty low-paying job, but it was still in aviation, and I figured that I needed to do just about anything I could within aviation using the experience I had from the military um, to uh, try to get as good a job as I can get. I had only had a high school diploma, and... Um, uh, it was pretty tough, so I uh, took whatever I could. Typically, it, were, it was jobs that other people didn't want in places they didn't want to go. So uh, I did a lot of that. I did a lot of that for a long time. Um, <clears throat> after a couple of years uh, of facing jobs and going to college at night, I was able to put together a two-year degree, which got me into GE. So I went to work for GE Aviation as a field service rep, 
which again took me all over the place for GE. Um, uh, let me shorten the story up a little bit. So, um, uh, like I said, I took a job no matter where I would, no matter where I was, and that was typically uh, it was always the job and never the place. So I wound up in some some kind of crazy places. So easy to say that I worked on both coasts in the middle of the country. I took a job in uh, in the Philippines for a while. I took my 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 two kids, two of my three kids over with me. I was a single dad at the time. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was good. I was going up the ladder, I guess you can say, uh, uh, and, um, you know, being somewhat successful at doing it. And then, uh, then I had an epiphany, an epiphany at about 37, 38, that, uh, I never really wanted to be a jet engine mechanic and I really wasn't that interested in aviation. So um, I took a couple of tests to try to get an idea of what I'd be good at, and uh, it said that I would be good at entertainment. <laughs> so uh, I uh, some fireworks That's went out. Funny. Like, wow, that makes makes perfect sense. So <laughs> so I decided to learn how to make movies. So uh, I educated myself in writing and acting and all aspects of film. And again, to make a long story short, I made a feature film in Hong Kong and. 1999, and it was released the summer of 2000, um, all through Asia, um, and then um, decided to write a couple of more screenplays and have some follow-ups to that film, and the movie did okay. We didn't make much money at it, and uh, really turned out to be a very brutal business um, and a very difficult business to, to really stay in. So those people that are out making movies, actors and filmmakers and all that, and they're They've made more than one. My hats are off to them because that's a, a huge hurdle to climb. Um, so uh, at this point, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a single dad for about 12 years. Uh, I met this wonderful woman who also had three kids. We got married, and uh, we were living in southern, uh, southern Florida near Miami at the time. Uh, I was working for a, a, another aviation company and decided that I was getting tired of making people money. So I... Uh, um, decided to go start my own business. So I uh, went around to the family and told them my idea, tried to get as much money as I could, raise money wherever I could, and uh, took, uh, took that cash and a whole stack of credit cards and decided to move to Kansas to start the business. Uh, I'd been out here uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, so I knew what the area had to offer. And the primary thing for me was a skilled labor base and a low-cost basis. So Moving out here, I was able to stretch that startup capital a lot longer than I would have if I had stayed in Florida. And um, we started, came out here in, uh, I guess, the fall of 2006 and started the shop in 2007. And uh, so far, so good. We're growing pretty fast now. We've got uh, we're right about 32 employees and um, uh, made a pretty substantial investment in capital equipment last year. And we're kind of uh, turning a corner and really uh, gonna kind of kind of blast off here pretty soon and, and do really well, probably double in size in the next year, year and a half. Um, so that's really kind of it, Stacy. I didn't want to go into a lot of detail. Um, one thing I'll just mention that when I when I did start the shop out here, it was the first time in my whole life where I was stable in one location for a long time. I wasn't looking for any more jobs, and no one was going to hire me away. Um, so I got involved in politics. I uh, 
ran for the state Senate in the last two cycles. Um, uh, full disclosure, running as a Democrat in a red state is not the most uh, sensible idea, although, uh, it, although it, was, uh, it was very uh, eye-opening, um, and uh, I was very grateful to be able to participate in the process. And uh, um, so anyway, now I'm... Uh, now I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to run again. <laughs> so, uh, no. Unless I, move to a, unless I move to a district that's a little more favorable for, for the things I'd like to see done. But uh, I'm still working on issues. Still, uh, I'm, right now I'm fighting for a bill in Congress that, uh, that secures a death gratuity payment for military uh, next of kin in, in, uh, when there's a government shutdown. Uh, last couple of shutdowns we had uh, – some service members uh, lost their lives and their families didn't get the death gratuity payment until the government reopened. And it's a real huge hardship for those families. So I've been pushing yeah. real hard to get that done. And for the last year, I've been fighting for that bill. We've got 189 co-sponsors um, going out to Washington to go knock on doors personally here in another month. And hopefully we can get it over the line and get the bill passed. So still staying involved in issues that are important to me and uh, things that I think are important to to uh, the country or other people. So uh, uh, I have not completely given up, but uh, running for office is a very difficult and expensive uh, thing to do. Um, and uh, yeah, but the numbers did look okay when I first started. It just, um, with the last election especially, it just kind of turned everything upside down how that came out. So, uh, well, um, anyway. um, and I, I know this is not the topic of our podcast, although it's an interesting one to me as well. I, uh, I had the opportunity to meet with Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, who uh, this was yesterday, who oh, is wow. on the yeah on the list of of potential presidential candidates in 2020. Uh, and it was really it was a there were like ten of us sitting around a conference room table, so it was a really interesting meeting. And I I've always contemplated contemplated dabbling in politics myself. In fact, my husband ran for city council twice. And lost. Um, so I, I have some visibility into the hardship of the process. But I, I do think this next election, things, uh, it, it, it's going to be an interesting time. You might, you might consider running again because I think some states are going to flip around in terms of, of where they vote. Yeah, well, we can we can have a side discussion about that. But okay, I, well, I, you know, it's, we'll do uh, a separate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of science involved in running for office, and uh, you know, the uh, the uh, willingness and the dedication and all those other um, uh, call them intangibles, if you want. You know, they they're they're meaningful and have a lot to do with it. But when it gets down to it, it's the numbers. It's uh, the numbers in the district, uh, the voters, the people that get out to vote, you know, all those things, yep. uh, at the end of the day, they really, really matter. But uh, no, it's uh, something I'll never, I don't think I'll ever give up because it's something that I tried to accomplish that I didn't, I wasn't successful at. And that's really hard for me to swallow. Um, yep. I typically so keep I typically at it. Yeah, what I try. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will. Yeah. One way or another. All right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your activism if nothing else. Um, so let's get, let's get to the topic of our podcast, which, which is essential. And of course at Zinc, we believe that communication is essential. You've certainly made the choice to make an investment in communication technology at your company. So 
that shows you're at least a little bit forward thinking and innovative in that area. So uh, talk to me a little bit about, about how do you view communication in your organization and, and its importance and, and maybe talk why you, you felt it was so important that you're making an investment in it. Uh, I, I think it's probably the most important. Um, uh, for me personally, I know that it's important if I am working on a project um, and uh, I find out once I'm near completion that three other people are working on the same project and nobody told anybody who was doing what. Um, that to me is a huge waste of energy. And, 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 and when I started the shop, that's one of the first things I want. I told everybody, we're all, we're all going to get in the room and talk about what we're doing. If it's the old fashioned uh, production meetings, then fine. Um, but what I'd rather do is everybody be producing and communicating at the same time. Um, so uh, it's hugely important. Now it's the thing that, that, that I probably, and everybody knows it, that I have the biggest problem with if you're not telling people what you're doing. Um, and I don't care how mundane you might think it might be, it could be a puzzle piece for somebody else. So, uh, um, yeah, I, like you said earlier on, I, I was one of the, I don't know how many people you had started off, starting off with zinc, but uh, um, I originally had started uh, back, well, I, I signed up with Twitter in 2008, and I liked the idea of uh, Twitter, and, uh, and then Yammer came out. I think Yammer was in 2008, and um, that was, they called it an enterprise microblog. So uh, I liked the idea of microblogging, and I wanted people to be able to communicate within the company uh, in an intranet or a closed-loop sort of, of a way where we were all, you know, sharing, you know, business-related issues to what you're having for lunch just so there was that same sort of feeling you got from Twitter. Because I've got Twitter followers that I've never met in real life, but I feel like I know them. And so I think that that interrelationship between people is real important as well. So if you if there's somebody in the shop that you don't know very well because you're just not very much into talking, but you see or hear or you read what I've been doing and you find some sort of a relationship or some kind of thing you can interact with that person, then it opens the door for uh, um, for a way where you can work better together. Um, so a lot, there's a lot more to it than just writing something down and sharing it with somebody. It kind of opens up uh, all sorts of... Uh, ways to uh, better relate to your pe the people that uh, are maybe sometimes in the same room with you. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, it's real important. I mean, I don't know if I got off track there, but it's real important for me and for, I think, for the business that communication is key. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's, let's talk about the word employee, the word engagement. Uh, and you know at Zinc we focus on what we call deskless workers people that are not in an office, people that are maybe building jet parts. <laughs> um, and, and in some ways, as you said, you know, sometimes making that connection and, and getting these people engaged so they don't think about doing something else or they don't come to their job with passion is really critical. At least we believe it is. How, how do you view driving passion and engagement in your workforce? Uh, I think, um, you know, I don't care what business or what activity you're doing. If you're not passionate and engaged in doing it, 
um, you're going to get bored and tail off and go do something else or, um, or not be as productive as you could be or uh, cause conflict all over the place. So I think it's really important for engagement and for uh, uh, passion. And I've got people that work for me that, that, you know, the, that have picked that ball up and are running with it. They, they really are uh, taking ownership in their jobs and they uh, love what they're doing. Um, uh, I think I've gotten four zincs since we've been talking just from <laughs> two people that, that are like that, that are just, they're just sharing everything they can, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. because they're excited, because they like what they're doing, because they want people to know, um, because they're trying to help others. So it's, uh, it's, it's, um, uh, passion is what it's all about. I mean, uh, um, living life in a passionate way and, and having that carry over to your job is, uh, you know, making it worthwhile, making that long trip to work every day, you know, worthwhile. Yeah. It's interesting as you, you bring up the, that you got four zincs just during our call and, and I have too. And sometimes I wonder wh- when we look at our analytics and, and, and sometimes we'll study them with our customers and we look at the communication map so you can see kind of where communication is strong and where it's not so strong. And then, if you look at the performance of the organization, and this is especially true, you guys are a relatively small company, but you know we have com- customers that have thousands of employees. And when you overlay performance onto communication and you look at, wow, that's so interesting, where performance is strong is also where communication is strong. And, um, and I always kind of wonder, so which comes first, right? Is is the tool driving engagement or is engagement driving the tool, right? So would these people find another way to send you four messages or has the tool just made it that easy for them to stay engaged? And I don't think there's a right or wrong, but I'd be curious to hear if you have an opinion on that. I think it's the tool that drives it. Um, I, uh, I don't, you know, I, 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 I'm I'm not I'm not a millennial. <laughs> I'm I'm 60 <laughs> years old, but uh, I watch younger people and their total engagement is on the new app that they got on their phone. I mean, they're all over that. They uh, they yeah. want to play with it. They want to see how it works. They want to see what it does. And I think that carries over too. I think if you get someone who's not afraid of their phone or not afraid of technology, and they're willing to try something out, and I've got people like that. They're like I don't I don't. I don't do that. I just I use a clipboard and a pencil. I don't need that stuff. Um, but I, you know, check it out, try it. You know, or sometimes I gotta push people and you know, force them to use it. You know, or I've told people I'm not answering your emails. You gotta send me a zinc if you want to talk to me. Um, and uh, and it drives them into the zinc. I mean, they still call it co-tap sometimes too. And I go, no, it's a zinc, <laughs> no, guys. Zinc. Yeah, yeah. So um, but that's okay. You know, as long as they're using the the platform, I don't care. Um, but uh, I think it's. Um, I think if someone needed to get a hold of me, um, they would probably email me. Uh, and and that to me is old school. Um, but I would, you know, that'd be fine if, if if I didn't have my phone on me or they couldn't get a hold of me. I think they'd call me or they'd try to find a way or smoke signals. I don't know. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's the platform I think that drives the communication at this point. I think the more that Zinc does, the more that we're able to, uh, I mean, some of the things that you guys have come out with in the last couple of years have been great, you know, being able to send files and pictures and 
um, things of that nature. Uh, they're getting used every day by our company. And like you said, we're a small shop. Um, but we're always, you know, we're always, I'll get a zinc from, um, um, from uh, my number two. She'll send me a picture or send me a file. And then I'll reply back. I'll, I sent her a, a little movie of my grandson walking this morning. You know, so there'll be a, there'll be a intermix of a business situation with a personal family situation. And it doesn't matter what it is. We're sharing it on that platform. Um, and I, I would love to get the rest of my family, you know, get them some, uh, you know, get them on zinc as well. You know, stay away from the text messaging. Let's all use zinc. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, I love it. I'm not, Do it. I'm not saying that for <laughs> your benefit. I'm just saying it because I, uh, to me, it's cross platform. You know, I, I, I've got some, my, my, one of my son-in-laws is on a, is on something other than an iPhone. Well, it's difficult to put him in a group message with everybody else in the family. So um, um, either they fall out or they don't get it or something of that nature. So if they're on one platform across the board and all that goes away, you don't have that problem anymore. Um, you don't have exclusion because we've had one, this kid, this guy has been excluded from all these things that we talk about because his phone can't get text messages from everybody. So, uh, and we had that problem in the business as well. You know, that's why I did just say, okay, no more phones or phones. Yes, but no more text messaging. It's got to be a zinc. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a platform. There's no doubt about it. That's great. And then, so one last question, and then we'll get to our little fun, quick questions. How does that translate into either delivering a better product or ultimately better customer results? for you as a company? Uh, a couple of things that drive our business. Um, cost, of course, is always, you know, I think every business out there is cost. Um, uh, turn time and delivery is huge. I mean, we, we, get, we get components from a customer, from a jet engine overhaul shop. They're going to overhaul an engine. They're going to take parts out of that engine. They're going to send it off to repair shops like mine. We're going to refurbish or repair and send it back. They're going to put it back in that engine, build it back up, and send it back to an airline to get installed on an airplane. They've got a certain window of time that they've committed to their customer, and we've got a certain amount of time that we commit to them. So uh, if anything I can do to shorten that, that turnaround time, that uh, touch time inside of my building, the better off I'm going to be. If communication is a big driver of that, letting everybody know where that part is, letting everybody know what the situation is, Letting, if there's a crisis, everybody's involved. Everybody has an opportunity to throw in their two cents. You know, this guy over here you didn't even know had an idea, has got an idea that solves the problem. That's huge. That, that moves that part. That moves the business. Uh, that, gets, that's, that gets me another shot at that same customer with another, another part down the road. Gets me a long-term agreement. Gets me where I'm, uh, I'm, I'm partners with them. So it's it's all it's it's really important. It's a, uh, it, we you know we do have we do have issues with communication now. We've got some people that just don't feel like they have the time to tell everybody what they're doing, or it's even an emotional level. They don't want to tell everybody what they're doing because they they don't feel confident in in in, in the outcome. So they don't want everybody to know they don't know. So I, I try to drive that out by telling people I don't know. Look, I don't know. I don't know everything, guys. I don't know. Let me go talk to my network of friends and colleagues and see if I can get an answer. So 
they see me vulnerable on that situation, maybe they'll open up and tell everybody when when they have a problem. But you know, there's a there's the human side of all that too. Communication isn't always about uh, um, you know uh, where's this or where's that. Sometimes you got to be open and tell people uh, some things that are that might make you feel a little vulnerable, and that's um, that's difficult for some folks to do. So love to be able to get past that sort of thing too so that everybody's open and fearless about what they're talking about. Yep. Yep. I hear you. Um, great strides, but can always improve. I definitely agree. Yeah. All right. So we now the fun, the fun quick part. We need, uh, you get to choose between three answers to these quick rapid fire questions. So first question, your go-to seat on a commercial air airline flight a window for the aisle c exit aisle okay it's it's b aisle all the time i'm i'm the same i gotta be able to get up and move (laughs) i gotta get out i gotta get out (laughs) (laughs) you gotta get out in case those parts aren't working right right exactly that's a joke that's a joke that's a joke okay number two when will you take a ride into space a Yes, Tomorrow. in the next five years. Okay, so in the next five years. Next five yeah. years. Sorry to interrupt you. Okay. Yes, okay. I would love to go oh. in space anytime. Same here. Same here. Okay, last one. Augmented reality experiences for mainstream airline travelers in the next how many years? Oh, wow. Um, I'd say more than 10 years. Yeah. I agree. And the reason I say I'm not that sure is it's we, all I that mean, necessary anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's that necessary. But change doesn't come that easy for the airline industry because, uh, I mean, how long did it take it take them before they let us use our cell phones, you know, while we're sitting in the, you know, getting ready to take off or even use our phones in the air? Um, I hear you. So it's, uh, <laughs> they move a little slower. you get too many yeah. regulations on top of it. We've uh, we're, we have a couple conversations about using zinc with some major airlines, and I can I can attest to the fact that they moved slow. Keith, it was so great to chat with you today. Really enjoyed it. Um, I wish you the best of luck in all of your endeavors with Jet Airworks, and also making making changes for the better good across our great country. So thank you again for the time, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Stacey. I really appreciate it. It's fun. And uh, anytime, anytime at all. Thank you.